Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for another week of Talking Football with Coach Wiley, and every week we have a special guest. And, you know, for me, I'm honored every week to be able to sit down with Coach Wiley and talk ball, and I think this week makes it even more special with our guest today who has an incredible amount of experience in the game, starting off at USC as a graduate assistant, working his way all the way through and spending time with eight NFL teams, including uh, being the head coach of the San Diego Chargers. Uh, he was part of the, the greatest show on turf in St. Louis and uh, was with Joe Gibbs. He's, I mean, you could go down the list and name some of the great coaches in this game, and he's coached with a lot of them, and he's done an incredible job himself. So, Coach Wiley, our guest today, I know you have some great experience with him as well, Coach Al Saunders. Coach Wiley, I would love to, before we bring him in, just hear a little bit about your perspective on Coach. I was just talking to Al and yourself before we came on here, and I said, Al Steiner decided to coach next week again, but he would be the best football coach in the National Football League, hands down. It's amazing the professionalism, the organizational skills, the personality, the camaraderie he gets with the players. I was very, very fortunate in my career. He's been the best football coach that I have ever worked with. And so he brings a wealth of knowledge, information, stories. He's just a wonderful person to be around. I really enjoyed my time with him. It's just that it was too short. We were at the Raiders together and we were at the Browns together. I wish we were, we were together at the other six teams. Al Saunders is the best guy that I have ever had the opportunity and privilege sitting down and talking football with and working with them side by side. Those are some great words. And Coach Saunders, definitely appreciate you taking the time here. And we are looking to tap into that wealth of knowledge and hopefully share something that can make a difference for the coaches who listen to this podcast. So thanks for taking the time today, Coach. No problem, Bob. Thank you so much. You know, I've worked for some coaches that are very emotional, that, that cry at the top of the top of a hat, Dick Vermeil and Marty Schottenheimer, named two of them. I, I almost joined them in, in hearing that. that. From my heart, I really appreciate that. And uh, you know how fond I am of you and, and, and your ability as a coach. And coming from you, that is very, very, very meaningful. In fact, I've had two agents in my life, uh, Lee Steinberg and Bob Lamont. I'm now hiring Bob Wiley. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, 
Yes, and I'll be the agent for you taking care of your grandkids. Let's see, how much do we have to charge Bobby for this? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bob. How, how can I help you guys today? Coach, I would love to hear about your start in this game and being able to get in with John McVay at USC and, and how that was a springboard into other things for you. My whole life has really been involved in teaching. I, I was a competitive swimmer on a national level at a young age and learned how to teach others in that regard. And later on in life, obviously got involved in football and, and, and played at the collegiate level and was coached by a fellow by the name of Harry Anderson and Dr. Bob Bronson, who also coached Dick Vermeil and uh, Bill Walsh. We all went to the same school and those guys were a little bit older than I. But I just never wanted to do anything else but coach and teach. And football was my first love. I had gone to Stanford uh, and got a graduate degree there in education. And while I was there, one of my responsibilities was to teach in high school. Uh, I taught two English classes and uh, ended up being the sophomore football coach. Uh, had a had a wonderful experience. Actually, we went 8-0, and, and the last game of the year, we beat Dick Vermeil's team. <laughs> he was coaching at Hillsdale High School, and I was at Gunn High School. And I think that was the only time I ever uh, competed against Dick, head coach to head coach. But it was, uh, I always still, I still needle him. Hey, there was one time, a long time ago, Dick, this was 1970, when uh, my team beat your team. So I just wanted to coach. I just wanted to teach. And that was really what I kind of set myself for as a lifetime job. And fortunately, I, I wanted to, I didn't want to teach in the classroom. I wanted to teach on the football field. And I, I just wanted to coach. That's what I wanted to do. So the way to do that, I went back to Dr. Bronson and said, how can I get involved in football as just a football coach, not have to teach in the classroom. So he suggested to try to be a graduate assistant at a major college that was a successful program, and that would be a way to do it. He had played, uh, Terry Anderson, my head coach, had played at the University of Southern California, um, knew John McKay, and called and gave me a, a, a recommendation. I went down and interviewed with Coach McKay and uh, myself and Hudson Howe for graduate assistants for the 1970 and 1971 USC freshman team. And that's kind of how it started. Uh, I was really fortunate to be in a great program uh, with a great head coach. And from there, worked in for two phenomenal head, actually three phenomenal head coaches in college, you know, John McKay and then Johnny Majors and, and Mike White, and was fortunate to be involved with some great head coaches in the National Football League level, Don Coriel and Marty Schottenheimer and Joe Gibbs and Dick Vermeil and, and most recently, John Harbaugh. And uh, have really been blessed to be with really great people, really great mentors, students of the game, and tremendously successful people. And that, that's kind of how it started. And 50 years later, my wife and I decided that 50 years in coaching was enough and we should spend time with our grandkids. So that's what I've been doing the last two years. And feeding the horses. Don't forget about feeding the horses. Yeah, well, I walk every day and I take my, my little bag of carrots to uh, – we live right next to the Virginia Tech Equine Center in Northern Virginia, uh, Morgan Park, uh, just a phenomenal facility for, for horses. And I, I go up there almost every day and feed them carrots, enjoy the countryside, and uh, just uh, really had an opportunity to kind of breathe the fresh air and stay healthy and have an opportunity to spend a lot of time with my six grandchildren, which really life goes full circle. And it's just such a great privilege for me to do that. I was so impressed with Al when I first started to work with him, 
And we walked into a meeting. He was the offensive coordinator at the Oakland Raiders. And I walk into the conference room at Sistani where the offensive staff was meeting. And he had everything mapped out what time we needed to be someplace, what time we needed to be there, what we were going to accomplish, what it was going to take place. Every day was mapped out for us. It was absolutely phenomenal. As a football coach, as a position coach, okay, you want to know what you need to do at what time you need to do it and not have any gray areas. So you can just go. We don't care how long it's going to be. We just want to know, hey, we need to be here at this time. We're going to do this. And so you can prepare yourself. And he was absolutely wonderful. When I walked in that room, he had everything planned planned from day one right right through training camp until we got to the first week of practice. It was great. I never I had never experienced anything like that. I said, this coach knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> well, I, I learned I learned a long time ago, Bob, from as you well know, for some really great mentors that I had that communication is a beautiful thing. And and most most of the time and I think this is true on any level, uh, you know, high school, football, college uh, level, professional level players and coaches both alike want to know what's expected of them. They want to know what to do, how to do it. And I've always felt like it's really important. And part of that probably is the, my educational background at Stanford is just the, you know, the, the communication skills that are involved both orally and written and uh, laying out, uh, you have a plan, you know, you hire good people, work hard and you show them that you care. That, that was Dick Vermeil's you know, successful coaching tenures, he, the four principles that he abided by. And um, when I went to San Jose State, it was originally uh, San Jose Teachers Normal School. People in California um, out of high school went to San Jose State to be teachers. So everything I ever learned or ever did in my life was always directed toward being a teacher. And it just happened to be being a teacher of football, which we all are, that are in the coaching profession. And just tried to put those principles together and, and make it easier for the people around you that you work with. And I think people appreciate organization. They appreciate administration. And when you have people that I've worked with, like yourself, you know, some other tremendous assistant coaches uh, throughout the last 50 years that I've spent in coaching, People just want direction, and when they have direction and they really have skills themselves, typically it turns out to be a, a really constructive and positive working environment. You know, you, you give value to people and you value the work that they do. You trust them. You work together for a common goal, and that's what coaching football is all about. And so grateful that I had so many years working with so many great people in the business. Because when you look at that organization that Coach Wiley mentioned in, in putting things together, and there's, you know, a lot of guys out there today really know the game well. But as as Coach Wiley says, you got to get it from the chalkboard to the grass. And I think he got he attributes that to to Coach Paul Brown. But the the organization part of it, being an offensive coordinator, you know, coordinate means to bring together, right? It's not it do, it's not that necessarily the offensive guru, though a lot of these guys are and they're creative and understand things. But better than anything, I think. It's, as you mentioned, they're organizers. And when you were putting together the plans, what were the things that you felt like, here's how I need to look at it, here's the information I need to get to these guys, and here's the manner in which I'm going to do it? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a two-week lecture, you know, um, and it involves a, a, lot of, a lot of time. And because every situation is different. But the, the most important thing 
and I think we learn this as, as young kids, is the goal setting. You know, what is the big picture? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And how are you going to get there? And and that involves so many different aspects of the game, both, you know, the X's and O's and strategy of it. You know, how do you plan every day? Everything works together toward the end goal, and that's winning football games. And how do you do that? How do you prepare for the day? How do you prepare for the week? How do you prepare for the month? How do you prepare for the opponents? And and all of those things kind of come together. You've got to be able to dissect it. You've got to be able to communicate it. You've got to be able to make it palatable with everybody that you're working with so that they understand it. There, I, I was told a long time ago, yeah, I'll never forget this, uh, one of the, the most valuable things I was ever told when, was that when I was a graduate assistant at Southern California. And we had Len Swan was one receiver and he was involved in this. And I was coaching the receivers, helping coach the receivers on the varsity. That was my, uh, as well as being one of the freshman coaches. And I remember in practice one time we were running, running a, Len was running a post route and uh, one of the other receivers was running a deep in dig route, you know, the combination that everybody uses. And we called it a 47, 48 combination. And Wayne Fonts was the, was the secondary coach. And John McKay was the head coach. And all of a sudden, uh, Pat Hayden was the quarterback. We're in practice. This was in the spring. Goes back and throws about an 80-yard bomb to Len Swan for a touchdown there in cover three, three zones. And Coach McKay gets out of his, his little golf cart, comes over and goes, Wayney, as he called Wayne Fonts, Wayney. He goes, Wayney, come here. And I was, you know, helping the receivers at the time. So I was down the field and I, I got right close to, to when he was talking to Wayne. He says, um, he said, what in the heck are you doing? He says, well, when they run that in route in front of you, that's free safety. Artemis Parker was the free safety. He says, Artemis can't come up and take that in route. He's got to continue to get depth, be deep as the deepest. He's, that's why we call him a safety. And, and, and Wayne Fonts said, he said, coach, I, I must have told him a hundred times that same thing. He can't jump the in route. And Coach McKay looks at me. And he, he says, and he, he put a Y on the end of your name if he liked you. If he didn't call you by a Y name, you were in trouble. He goes, Allie, he said, did you hear that? He says, Wayne, told him a hundred times. He says, I'm going to tell you once, Artemis, don't ever jump that in route and let that post go over the top of you. You understand? Artemis goes, yes, sir. And he runs back and Len Swan runs back. And he looked at Wayne and he looked at me and he says, let me tell you guys something. There's a difference between telling and teaching. He says, you told him a hundred times. I told him once. He says, if he does it again, I'm going to go out and find someone who can teach him. And, and that never, I, I've always remembered that there's a difference between telling and teaching. And I apply, always applied the same thing to, to strategy, applied the same thing to organizing a training camp, organizing our, our offensive playbook. Um, number one, you better be able to communicate well, and it's not what you know, it's what the other people know. You better have a plan and you better stay with your plan unless something unexpectedly causes you to change it. But always give people due process and allow them input in what you do, know what your goal is, and, and always work in that direction. But always think about teaching, whether it's players or staff, and not just telling same with your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Teach your kids. Don't tell them. Yep. And the thing that I was always watch Al's players, no matter what plays he had, he's had some great 
all pro Hall of Famers in his career. But no matter what guy he had, he treated them all the same. They they got better. I watched guys that were kind of just guys that we really got them. And all of a sudden, as we kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going, those guys were getting better and better and better. I said, this is absolutely wonderful to watch this take place. You know, I, I'm over here in my own little world with the, the offensive line, but when we sat down and watched the film, if that guy was supposed to cut at 12 yards, he was cutting at 12 yards. He wasn't cutting at 11 and a half. He wasn't going at 12 and a half. He was making cuts exactly where he was supposed to be making them because if he didn't, Coach Sanders would make sure he understood where he got, why he needed to make it at 12. Right. So, you, you know what's about in, in thinking about that, you know, I, I was Marty Schottenheimer, one of the, the greatest head coaches I've ever had the privilege of working for. He should be in the Hall of Fame, winning 200 games in his NFL career and was really a unique individual. You know, most coaches, uh, you know, adopt one side of the football. They're either offensive coaches or defensive coaches. Marty Schottenheimer gave the entire game plan to the entire team on Saturday, offense, defense, special teams. The old school, like Tom Landry and Dan Reeves, did the same thing. There's not many people that do that anymore. And he was just so phenomenal and such a, such a knowledgeable student of the game. And I remember him telling me a long, long time ago, he says, you treat everybody like a first-round draft choice. He says, when we bring someone into our program, and I worked for Marty for 10 years, he says, you treat everybody like a first-round draft choice. And, and I always remember that, and they deserve that. He says, every player in the league deserves to be coached and taught you know, with the best intentions and the sincerest heart from every coach. And that, that's part of, I, I've always felt like the, the job of a coach is to make his players better and make them as good as they can possibly be. And then their, then their mental, emotional, and physical talents will determine whether or not, you know, they stay on an NFL team or play more in a college game or in high school. But you need to teach every single person exactly the same, with the same energy and the same enthusiasm and the same caring, you know, the old, Dick Vermeil's statement is players really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And and I, I think that is that is so true because, you know, if you really have a sincere desire to see them get better, then you're going to do everything you possibly can, you know, to help them achieve their goals in life. And, and some of them might not be good enough to, to, to make an NFL roster, but I still get calls and conversations and letters and emails and things from players I've coached years and years ago who probably appreciated that more than anything is that they were always treated fairly and they were always they always knew that you know my intention for them was to to try to make them the best they could possibly be you know you like I've always said you can't teach experience you know and and, and you can't teach what you don't know so you all coaches should be tremendous students of the game and try to advance the skills of every player that comes under their tutelage. And, and I'll say that, you know, without embarrassing Bob, you know, he, he, he epitomized that as an offensive line coach. You know, you talk to anybody that has played for Bob Wiley, and the, the first thing they will say is, you know, Bob cared for us so much and made us so proud of who we are, were, and what we were. And, and was probably the best teacher that they've ever been around. And, and that's always, to me, a testament of a great coach. It's like the, the coaches that coach uh, youth sports or the coaches that coach high school. You know, I've always believed that they, they shouldn't be evaluated on how many games they win. 
they should be evaluated on how many of those young players come back the next year and want to play. Um, that's what we can do as, as coaches for, for our, our profession. And it's the same on the NFL level. You know, how, many, how many players really enjoy the experience? You know, how many players in a college program really enjoy the experience? And everybody enjoys uh, being in an environment where they're cared for and when they know that their interests are the most important thing to the people that are that are teaching them, whether it's in the classroom or on the on the practice field. So anyway, that's uh, that's just something really important to me is to always treat people with dignity and respect and, and try to work as hard as I could to make sure that everybody uh, learned as much as they could and tried to make themselves better. Once they've got those seats, because there's not many of those seats that they sit in, you want them to keep them as long as they can. You prepare them. Their God-given athletic ability and their intelligent factors will go into making them stay in those seats. And you're going to take them as far as you can take them. And then the, the rest they've got to do, they got to do it themselves to get them they got to do it on the football field. they got to do their jobs. So just make sure that you do your job when you're asked to do it. If they just do their jobs, then you've done a, a really good thing as a coach. Bob, don't you think, and, and, and you, you can speak to this because you do it, and, and nobody has done it any better than anybody I've ever been around. Don't you think you can create an environment where, and this is a Dick Vermeilism, his goal as a head football coach was to create an environment where everybody enjoyed coming to work. The grounds crew, the equipment guys, the, the trainers, the coaches, the players. And, and I think it's a special knack for an assistant football coach, a position coach, to create an environment where his players enjoy coming to work. Because it in NFL's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's long, it's physical, it's hard. But I, I, I had never been around a coach that created, and I've been around a lot of great offensive line coaches in, in my career. I mean, some, some of the, the very best ever, the Jim Hannafins and the Joe Bugles and the, you know, I, I could just go down to Hudson Houck, I could go down the list, Alex Gibbs, you know, and I'm probably leaving Mike Solari, and I'm living out a whole bunch of them. But I don't know that anybody created an environment that players enjoyed coming to than Bob Wiley at both places. I had an opportunity to work with Bob, both uh, the LA, uh, excuse me, the LA now, but uh, the, uh, the Oakland Raiders and uh, the Cleveland Browns. And the, usually the quarterbacks are the first ones in the building. It was the offensive line and, and selected players in the offensive line. The meeting room was a place that not only the offensive line went to, but the receivers and the quarterbacks and the running backs, they loved being in that, in that meeting room. They love being a part of what Bob created, you know, for players to learn. And, and whether you're a kindergarten teacher, whether you're a football coach, a baseball coach, a basketball coach, an English teacher, a math teacher, you know, in high school or in college, if you can create an environment where students enjoy coming to your presentations, then you have an opportunity to teach them and you have an opportunity for them to enjoy what their their uh, their job is. And um, you know, I, I was really privileged to be, be associated with Bob and the way he created that. And if there was ever a time in a clinic lecture or anything like that where somebody talked about creating an environment where, where players and coaches enjoyed coming to work, you know, Bob would be the guest speaker for that. He has been coach. That's that's how I first met him was doing a virtual clinic and he talked about that stuff. And 
I had him on the podcast and he, he talked about it extensively. And I always tell coaches, you need to go back to that one and listen to how you set this up for yourself for success. So yeah, Coach Wiley, I agree. You do a great job at that. I've always believed, like Al, the chemistry that you create in your meeting room, in your classroom, that chemistry is more important than any of the X's and O's that I could draw on the board. It doesn't matter any of the X's and O's. That's the last thing that you do. The first thing is you've got to create that room. So like Al was saying, where they want to come in. They want to be there. They can bring their food and bring your kids in. I don't care. Just get in here. Let's get to work. You know, and God, I got gorillas. I got a family board up. I got in the beginning when they first were pop water junior high school players. I got palm trees every holiday. We decorate the room for Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you know, like I was saying, they just automatically are drawn into the room because the atmosphere in the room is such that they enjoy being there. You know, now they're going to work. They know they're going to work. But last week, J.C. Twitter called me. J.C. Twitter I had up in, in Cleveland. And he called me, just retired. And he said, Coach, I'm just calling you. And I just wanted to thank you. He says, because you made it fun for us to come to work every day. And we know we had to go to work. We know some days were going to be more fun than others. But you, I really enjoyed. You know, when I drove into the parking lot, I really enjoyed coming into the building. And that was a, a, a really great compliment. I tried to, exactly what I was talking about, create that atmosphere where they enjoy coming to work. I mean, we had different things that, there's schools that play each other. We'd have a board up there, and they would pick who they're playing against. So we even had a little basketball rim. That on break times, they'd shoot baskets, and I'd bet the Mayfield would come in, and they would bet on who's going to make so many baskets. And I mean, we, it, it was just fun coming into the room. Same way, you walk into Al's room, and when those kids walked into Al's room, what he needed to teach them was already on the board. He didn't waste any time having to draw it up on the board. It was already there, right? They needed to come in and sit down, right? Hey, we're going to get to work here. But it was a, a, a good atmosphere. You walked into that room, you enjoyed being there. And you enjoyed our coaching. You enjoyed listening to his stories. As you say, Bob, from a coaching perspective and, and a coaching profession, you know, creating an environment in the classroom that is conducive to learning is is really a skill and it's so important and because we've all been through our grammar schools and our high schools and maybe even in college where you go to a class regardless of what it is chemistry english music history where the environment was just not conducive to learning and for whatever reason you didn't accept the the teaching that was going on and then you get into an environment that is really enjoyable and encouraging and all of a sudden, you've really enjoyed the subject matter and you've learned quite a bit. And the key in coaching is, is being able to take that onto the field, is not just the coaching in the classroom or the teaching part of it, but then taking it on the field. And I, I've always believed that you know, enthusiasm was really an important part of that, enthusiasm for the success that a player has or for the, the ability he has to improve a particular skill I was told by John McKay a long time ago, um, and people used to kid me. I when if you I kind of animated on a on a practice field at least was, and would chase the receivers up and down the field and all that. And and people, said, what the heck are you doing? How come you're running all the way down the field? Well, when I, when I was in 1970, 
um, working with, as I mentioned before, with John McKay working with the wide receivers. Lynn Swan was a young freshman at the time. We'd have one defensive group as a show team, and then we'd have two offensive huddles, and it was rapid pace, one after the other. One huddle would go up, next offense would go up, next offense would go up, next offense would go up, and there was just no delay. I mean, it was just one after the other after the other. The very first day of practice, I thought I did a heck of a job. I'm sweating. It's 102 degrees out there in Southern California on the University of Southern California campus. And I thought I did one heck of a job coaching. I'm coaching them up. I'm coaching Len Swan. I'm coaching Freddie Lynn, who ended up being MVP of baseball. He played both baseball and football at USC at the time. And he was one of our other receivers. And he's running down the field. And I'm coaching the heck out of them when they're coming back to huddle. Bobby Chandler was another receiver, played for the Raiders for a long time. And we're this true story. We're walking off the field. I'm, I'm, and Coach McKay and, and and Joe Gibbs was the offensive line coach at the time. Those two are walking together, probably about 20 yards in front of me. And I thought, gosh, you know, I I, I wonder if Coach McKay thought I did an okay job. So I kind of walked a little bit faster to kind of get up where I would be in his vision. And sure enough, he stopped. He turned around. And I thought, oh, good, he's going to, you know, he's going to maybe say I did a pretty good job. And he goes, Al, he goes, let me tell you something. This was your first day of work here at the University of Southern California. He says, we work full days here, not half days. And and he and Coach Gibbs just turned around. They kept walking. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean we do work half days? So I waited for him outside of the locker room when everybody got dressed and one of my true mentors and very, very dear friends, Dave Levy comes out. And I said, Coach Levy, I said, um, you know, did you hear what Coach McKay said to me? Uh, he said, yeah, they were, he and uh, Joe were talking about Joe Gibbs. We're talking about it in the locker room. He says, here's the deal. When the first group of offense went down the field, you waited for those guys to come back and then you were coaching them when they were back and the second group was going. When a player does something right, you make sure right that you are right there and you tell him that he did it well. If he does it wrong, you tell him that he didn't do it well, and then you coach him on the way back to the huddle and tell him how to do it. He says, here at the University of Southern California, we want direct feedback. We want immediate feedback. We want those players to know what they did right or what they did wrong, and you tell them right away. So the next practice in the afternoon, Lynn Swan ran down the field. I was two feet behind him running all the way down the field. When he caught the ball, I told him, great job, pat him on the back, got back and was ready for the second group to go. So for 50 years of coaching, I learned to give immediate feedback to players, you know, tell them what they did right or tell them what they did wrong because everybody wants to know. They don't want to know a, a day later or, or three days later or wait till you look at the film. So I was very animated on the film. I, I enjoyed working or on the field, excuse me, enjoyed working with the players and uh, and showed them I really cared by giving them immediate response to whether they did it correctly or whether they did it incorrectly. And so I, I tried to take that teaching in the classroom uh, and the enthusiasm for that to teaching on the field and the enthusiasm for that. And all my years of coaching, I think I enjoyed being on the field probably more than the the players did because for me it was uh, really a fun experience and I, I don't think in, in 50 years I ever really felt like I went to work I could hardly wait to get there um, enjoyed every player that I ever ever worked with and really had a great great experience for a long time and you can be animated too in your coaching style you know, everybody has their own room 
style of coaching, but you got to do things with them that that's going to kind of lighten the moment because sometimes the moments get really tough out there. So you got to oh, kind of yeah. do things that lighten the moments. You know, I remember, you know, one time, you know, Sam Weiss was working with Sam and, and we gave up a sack. Sam's going over to, you know, he's yelling and screaming over that sack. Wild, wild. We, we gave up an eight yard sack. Why did we give up an eight yard sack? Well, I'm trying to figure it out myself. You know, I don't even have the pictures yet. I'm trying to figure out what, what went wrong, right? He's screaming over the headset. So he's walking down the sideline after me, and I turn around, and he looks at him before he could say anything else. I says, Coach, because we didn't go back 10 yards. If we would have back 10 yards, it would have been a 10-yard sack. <laughs> he just stopped. He started to laugh, turned around, and walked the other way. <laughs> just a quick editing note here on Coach Saunders' track. We get some feedback for the rest of the way, we did our best to clean it up. We thought about cutting the the episode there, but what Coach has to share is gold. So uh, it's one of the things we have to deal with and not being in a studio and taking calls from the road. Uh, but some great stuff here to follow from Coach Saunders. One of the great the great statements that, that, that Joe Gibbs always used to say, and it, and it resonated with me all through my coaching career because I, I learned this in, in 1970 when I was his graduate assistant. Um, and he said the same thing when I worked for him in 2000 and, and I think it was 2006 and 2007, his last couple of years in coaching with the Redskins. So I, I worked for Joe in some of his first years and then in some of his last years. And he would always say, don't tell the players what you think they want to hear because you tell them the truth. And first of all, when you tell someone, anybody, the truth, you never have to remember what you said. So you tell the players the truth. You, you don't tell them what you think that they want to hear. If they're not playing well, be honest with them. If they are playing well, be honest with them. So that's all anybody can ever ask from a teacher and a coach is, I want to know the truth. I want to know where we are. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Um, and, and there were some four-letter words that came out every once in a while in a pitch. But, but the bottom line was that the, that the players knew you cared about them and you were going to tell them the truth. This is what they needed to do to get better. This is what we needed to do to get better as a team. And uh, I think the coaches that are generally truthful with the people they're working with, that they really care about them, that they really want to improve their skills, regardless of the personality of the player. I think most assistant coaches that, that kind of abide by that philosophy of, of telling a player the truth, um, you know, don't make it necessarily easy on them. Um, but everything that you do is for a reason, and the reason is to make him a better football player. Because when you work in the NFL, if, if those players get a feeling that you don't know what you're talking about or you really don't care about them, they'll turn you off so fast you, 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 can't, even, you can't even breathe. Uh, but if they know you care about them, and I know you do everything you can to, to study and try to make them better players. They'll be forever grateful. And, and, I, and I felt this, the truly great players, the, the Joe Thomases and the Owen Kruitzes and, you know, the really, really, really great players, they, they all want to learn. And, and they respect you so much if you are one who really takes the craft of teaching to heart. I'll never forget, uh, in 1982 was my first year in the National Football League. And um, I, I just had come from the University of Tennessee working for Johnny Majors and was hired by Don Coriel uh, with the San Diego Chargers. Now I'm walking into a room. I'm 33 years old 
walking into a room with uh, and, and coaching the receivers. And there's Charlie Joyner, uh, there's Kellen Winslow, Dan Faust is the quarterback, Wes Chandler, um, just some phenomenal players who had, you know, who I wasn't much older than, um, who had all been to Pro Bowls, uh, you know, Charlie and Kellen and Dan are all in the Hall of Fame. And I'll never forget the first, the first year I was there, um, we had rookie camp. In those days, we had six weeks of, we had six preseason games. We had about eight weeks of, we had rookie camp and then veteran camp. And, and Charlie Joyner played 18 years in the league, uh, was in the front row uh, of rookie camp. And, and he was there for about two or three days. And finally I said, Charlie, I said, I said don't, you, don't you know this by now? You've been in this offense, you know, for, for the last eight years. He says, yeah, but you know what? You might change something on me, and I want to be prepared for that. He says, it's all about learning. It's all about knowing what to do so your body can respond and react in a natural way. And I've always remembered that. And Charlie is a dear friend, and I ended up being his position coach for a long time and then head coach following Don Coriel with the Chargers. And, and seeing Charlie every year at the Hall of Fame, it just reminds me of how important and, and how, how really the great players really want to learn and how, how much of a responsibility you have as a coach, whether it's in the National Football League or high school or junior high school or Pop Warner, what a responsibility you have, you know, to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can to help those players get better. Al, you're 100% correct. Because being around Joe and Olin and, and Anthony Munoz and some of those guys, they came in and they took notes from the first season until the 11th season. They still took the same notes. They come in, sit down, open a notebook, start the classroom participation. Everybody's getting involved and they're taking notes. Those guys always seem to rise to the top. The great thing about coaching those people is you can you can give them the expectations and, and they, they generally meet it because they realize that it's more than just God's given talent. It's, it's You've got to work to, to to be the very best at your craft, and uh, you know it's really really fun to have experience with with players who are the best they've ever been. I, I just love so much going to the to the Hall of Fame ceremonies you know, last year and the year before it was Tony Gonzalez and you know Kurt Warner and 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 just guys that have, have meant so much to me uh, over the years. And uh, you know you're going to be going next year with uh, Joe Thomas. He's got to be a first. First ballot Hall of Famer, doesn't he? Bob? I would, yes, I would think he would be your first ballot. When you play in ten thousand three hundred and fifty-three consecutive snaps, that may be something that gets looked at as being a first ballot guy. I'm fact, excited I, that the NFL, the NFL Hall of Fame finally uh, has, has has dominated and and. Don Coriel. It's his time to go in on the seniors committee. Last year it was Dick Vermeil. Um and so I, I, two years in a row I've had coaches that I've worked for, Dick for, for seven years and, and, and Coach Coriel for five years before I followed him as the head coach in, with the Chargers. And you know what a what a great honor it is and what a what a, a great feeling it is to see those people that have contributed so much to the game, both players and, and coaches and the best that have ever played the game, you know, in their in their era. And and how how thankful and how grateful it is to be a part of of their history and, and of their experience uh, in, in football. And I, I know that you know Joe will get in this year and you've got 
you know, like Anthony and others, others that are in the Hall of Fame there. How proud that must make you feel? Yeah, it does. You know, and then he, and this year they they nominated Wiz, they nominated uh, uh, Willie Anderson is another guy. Uh, you know, and Owen is in the same thing with Joe. You know, and I, and I I kind of set each one of them a little text, and I said, okay, guys. Okay, they nominated you to be in on 129. Okay, now all we need to do is get rid of the other 128 guys to get. <laughs> you know, well, I, I expect you know, I, I'm, way I'm to get rid of. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going for I'm going for sure to 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 uh, acknowledge uh, Coach Corral and pay respects to Coach Corral and his family for his installation. I expect you to be there for Joe Thomas this year. <laughs> I have a question for you, Coach. We we talk a lot on this podcast about the player-coach relationship, and you and Bob really detailed it out there and how you do things to, to set up that environment. But I think maybe something I don't co- talk enough about, and it it's always a little bit harder to deal with adults in this game, right? The kids are easy. Uh, but when you lead an offense, you've been in, uh, in a lot of great rooms with a lot of great coaches, and uh, sometimes that that's not always the easiest thing. What's the key to being able to keep that group together and, you know, you have a, a lot of great ideas coming in, right? But to be able to refine and keep things pointed in one direction, what's the key to doing that as an offensive coordinator? Well, I think there are a couple of things. Number one is a clear plan, and, and which Bob alluded to early on in this conversation. Everybody understands the plan. Everybody understands what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And there's got to be enough trust in the room. And there's a lot of different ways to demonstrate that, you know, as you go on and as you work together. But but I, I think that is really, really important, the trust and the honesty and the hard work that you put in. When when, when players players see you work hard, they, they know the coaches that work hard and on the field and off the field, and they know the ones that don't. And And I would say I've never been around really good players that don't want to work hard uh, and don't want to learn. But you also have to put in the time and effort and energy uh, to be able to give them what they need. What, what, well, like I say, always say, communication is a beautiful thing. If you don't communicate and you, don't, and you take things for granted, then you have a problem. But when you're dealing with, with professional football players and you're dealing with adults, and I think the same thing is true in, in high school. I think the same thing is true in college. People want to know what is expected, and then when they perform, are they performing at a level that's acceptable or not acceptable? And if it's acceptable, you tell them that. If it's not acceptable, you tell them that, and then you tell them how to get to a level that is acceptable. And and it's communication, and it's trust. But you treat adults with respect and dignity, and treat them not how you want to be treated, but how they want to be treated. Dick Vermeil always said that, and it'll it'll go a long way. And if they have trust and confidence in your ability as a teacher and trust and confidence in your work ethic, then you're going to get the very best out of them. And that's what we all strive to do. And so that, that would be my take on that. And, and the other thing that Dick Vermeil said, don't ever be afraid to tell anybody you love them. Players, coaches, coworkers, you know, that that's a real strong word. And there's a lot of meaning that goes into that, you know, and there's nothing wrong with putting your arm around a player and say, you know, hey, 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 David, I love you. I love the way you're playing. 
being honest and, and being a little bit vulnerable yourself sometimes is not a bad thing. You know, you don't need to be the toughest guy in the room. You know, what you need to be is compassionate and you need to be understanding and you need to be truthful and you need to have values and, and that goes a long way. Coach, in looking at the great offenses you've been a part of, and I know you had the opportunity to, to coach with Don Coriel before you became a head coach, and then that style of offense came back for you guys later um, with the Rams. But looking at that, right, it was, it was an offense that in some ways was, was ahead of everybody else in the way they were doing things. And, you know, I don't know if we've, we've seen those types of offenses since, but what, what would you say were some of the things just from a – I know we could get into a whole lecture on that too, but what were the, the main things that set that apart from what was happening at the time? Well, first of all, Don would tell you, he would be the first one to tell you that one of his basic philosophies and criteria was don't ever ask a player to do what he can't do. Don't ever ask players to do what they can't do. Put them in positions where they can, where they can utilize their innate skill until they get better at the things you're teaching them. So, I mean, the game is about matchups. It always has been. And Don was an expert, along with Ernie Zampezi, of designing matchups. But they weren't afraid to fail. You know, we, we had in San Diego, and Joe Gibbs took that offense to Washington and won four Super Bowls with it. You know, Ernie Zampezi took it to, to Dallas, and they won Super Bowls with Troy Aikman. You know, we took it to uh, St. Louis and won Super Bowls with, with uh, Kurt Warner. And we never won the Super Bowl in San Diego with Dan Faust that set every NFL offensive record. We led the league in offense for six straight years in total offense and passing. And but his whole thing was don't don't ask players to do what they can't do and make it fun. You know, make it enjoyable. You know, and the other thing was make sure that the language is simple. It's not about what you know, it's about what they know. It's not about what you can teach, it's about what they can learn. So put players in a position where they're going to have fun, where they're going to be successful. Don't ever ask them to do what they can't do because it will be a sense of frustration. When somebody develops a skill and then he's good enough to do something, now put him in a position where he can, he can, he can utilize that talent that he's gained. But it would be just like a, I mean, I, 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 we're all watching Aaron Judge right now. It 61 home runs the other night, hitting the 61st. And that 62nd is going to come a lot sooner than anybody thinks. But what a what a phenomenal athlete he is, and what a great player he is, and what what a, a great opportunity you know the Yankee organization has given him to utilize his skills because they they were never developed like that before. So he's doing things that he can do. It's the same with football. Don't ask players to do what they can't do. Don't ask that guy to bunt. Don't ask him to, you know, hit to the opposite field. You know, don't ask him to do those things. Tell him to put it out of the ballpark. Don't be reaching for pitches that, that, that aren't in the strike zone. I mean, the guy was walked more times than anybody in Major League Baseball. Last night he gets walked there. Two nights ago he gets walked three times. You know, doesn't go after bad pitches because he's doing what he's capable of doing and doing it in, in a framework of not – doing something that he's not capable of doing. So that was Don's deal. Coaches that have been successful are, are coaches that, that make the language understandable. The other thing that Don would say is don't make simple things complex. The really good coaches are coaches that can make the complex things simple. 
and we had a had a language that was really easy, easily digested. Um, we let players, you know, do what they could do. Uh, we never made complex things uh, complex. We made them very simple, and we made uh, you know the players able to go out and execute and, and utilize their physical talents. And that was the that was the silver lining and the thread through through all of the years of, of Don's creative offense. He was way ahead of the game. You know, he didn't admonish players for for making a mistake. He always took it upon himself. If that player made a mistake. It was our responsibility as the staff not to put him in that situation again because he couldn't handle it. And uh, I, I just always felt like that when we, we led the league in offense for five years in, in Kansas City with uh, Trent Green and Priest Holmes. And you know, we had Tony Gonzalez, who was really special, a good offensive line. But, you know, players, and we just found out what they could do. It's the greatest show on turf. We were fortunate. Kurt Warner was a rookie when it was the first year he ever played, you know, in the National Football League. He ended up being MVP in the league, and we won a Super Bowl. And we had Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Ricky Prohl and Asa Kim and Marshall Falk, and you know, we put them in positions where they could do what they could do. We never asked Marshall to do something he couldn't do. We had him in space. And when you have space players, let them play in space. If you have bull neck players that are tough physical players and or downhill runners, then put them in that position, just like like Cleveland's doing right now with uh, Nick Chubb, Chubb. And, and you know and, and the guys that they have there. They're not asking. Brissett is doing exactly. They're doing a tremendous job with the offense because they're not asking the quarterback to do things he can't do, and that they're, they're running the ball, you know, better than anybody in the National Football League with a, you know with a gap scheme runs. You know, and, and then a wide zone and a tight zone run team, but they, they're mixing it up and they're doing it the right way and they're giving the, the ball to people who have the ability to run it. And they're not asking them to do what they can't do. You know, where you look at some teams in the league, they're asking their quarterbacks to do what they can't do. If you look at Cincinnati, that poor kid's getting killed. You know, there are things that they're doing that they're not capable of doing up front on the offensive line. And Bob would know more about that, but you've got to give them tools. You've got to give your players tools and you can't, like I say, you can't teach what you don't know and and you can't teach experience. So if you have a limited knowledge from a schematically speaking from a passing game or running game, you better, you better spend a lot of time learning how to expand your, your, you better go from having a, a bachelor's degree to a master's degree. And if you're in coaching in the national football league, you better have a PhD in your field of expertise. Those players are depending on you. Don't ask them to do what they can't do because you're just going to you're going to cause problems for yourself, and it's not fair to them. It's not fair to your football team. You got to learn how to protect the quarterback. I mean, that's the one guy. Al, you worked for Joe Gibbs, and he was a former line coach at one time, right? And when you worked with Coach Gibbs, wasn't protection one of the most key things that he that he did? Was he overly concerned about protection? Almost yeah, we, that, sometimes. Number one, we, we didn't we didn't burden our quarterback with a lot of the protection issues, though. That was for for the great line coach, God rest his soul, Joe Bugel, um, who was our mm-hmm. offensive line coach, who was absolutely phenomenal. And Joe Gibbs being an offensive line coach, you could be sure that we have we had enough variety in protections that we could take care of any issue that we might have from a schematic standpoint and a preparation standpoint. 
But Joe Bugle, uh, as you well know, was a phenomenal teacher. Now you're talking about technique. You're talking about communication separate from the actual schematic design of the protections that we had, that we had, you know, we had eight man protections. We had seven man protections. We had six man protections. We had five man protections and the quarterback understood his responsibilities. It was hot and sight with all of those protections, but we never, we never burdened the quarterback with changing protections at the line of scrimmage. You know, our, our protections were all self-contained. We threw hots, we threw sights. Our quarterback, I remember Joe Montana uh, in uh, in Kansas City. I mean, all those he would say, now tell me who I'm responsible for. <laughs> Let the offensive line take care of those other guys. You tell me who I'm responsible for, and and we'll get it figured out. That's the same thing that that's the same philosophy that that, that Corey L had with Dan Fouts. Dan would say, tell me who I'm responsible. Do I have sights? Do I have hots? If I don't have either, then we're good to go. And it was a great way to teach. Um, but yeah, protection was absolutely critical. And you better have an answer. There are so many great edge rushers now. There's so many different looks that you have on defense. There's so many different pressures. You know, there's the zone blitzes. There's the, the man blitzes. There's secondary blitzes. There's, you know, all kinds of issues. And you know, Bob, because you dealt with that. You were, you were, you were phenomenal. It, 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 I would ask Bob, uh, Bob, what protections are the best for you and the offensive line this week against this opponent? Who do we have to take care of? Who do we have to, to adjust our protections to take care of? And every every week it was different. Every week it was different. There are some coaches that go, oh, we're going to run jet protection, and that's our protection, and that's all we're going to run. Well, that presents mm-hmm. With Bob, you had we went a variety to, of all, all We went to Oakland. Oh, God, we went to Oakland. We walked into Oakland and they were like 29th and sacked. Right. And then we started to put the, the, the offense together. And now there's a wonderful job putting the thing together. And, and uh, but the production, we had JC Campbell and, and up front, we had literally no names. We had, we had Jared Valdez, we had Stefan Wisniewski, Sammy Satelli, Cooper Carlisle, Khalif Bonds. There was really no names in it. But because of the sights and the hearts and the and and we just put the kids in what they could do with ours exactly what I was talking about. We we went from 29th in protections to fourth, and I think if I remember correctly, Coach, we broke like nine Oakland Raider offensive records, but we were the second most productive offense in the history of the Oakland Raiders, and we did it with hardly any name. We we had Don McFadden, that was the main guy. But basically, the team was made up on offense. was wasn't a lot of main guys, but it was the the organization and the the detail that Al would put into the offense that really and, and the kids understood it really, really well. Right, that they they made it work. They they made it yeah. work the way it was supposed to work. It was and fun it was because fun. when you have an offensive line coach that that not only understands uh, not just one or two or three or four or five protections, he understands all protections because he's taught it. He's, he's taught the techniques involved, the, the, the calls that are involved, the communication that's involved, not only with the offensive line, but the tight ends, the receivers, the backs, the quarterbacks. Um, it, w- it was a thing of beauty. And uh, it, was, it was just phenomenal to be able to work with Bob, who knows so much about offensive line play and was so successful we appreciate you taking the time today for sure and uh, love being able to sit and listen to you guys talk about a lot of these things and share stories and i 
I know our listeners will learn from this as well. And I can't tell you how much I enjoyed. I, I always love talking football. And, and with both of you today, it was really a treat for me to, to revisit some of those old stories. You got my mind going 100 miles an hour now because there's about 100 of them that I wasn't able to tell. But maybe down the road we could have another conversation and uh, really enjoyed speaking with both of you guys.